Good evening, and welcome to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Michael Dow, and with me tonight are Susan Timberlake. Hey there, is my mic on? Yes, it is. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I just can't see the light, so. <laughs> Headphones, Sue, it's the way to go. Oh, there you go. And uh, Stefan Ward-Wheaton is running the board. We are short... Uh, Yellow. Both Genre and George. Hope you guys are both doing okay and feeling better soon. Um, and staying warm. Yes. <clears throat> that would be that would be a good idea. It's uh it's terrible weather today. Be more it's fun like, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's snow on the way. Snow on the at way. At least as of this broadcast. It's yeah. like it's winter or something. Yeah, I think Northampton's declared a snow emergency, right? So you can't do the parking thing. You have to yeah, have I think follow so. whatever the rules are. I forget. Probably true in East Hampton and Hadley as well. South Hadley. Yep. Hadley. Holyoke didn't have school today. I know that. Mm. So um, before we get going here, I should just mention, as I try to always do, uh, you can contact us, and we would be very pleased to hear from you, especially during the show where, uh, you know, we, we can actually respond to what you say on the air. But you can reach us um, via email. It's at civil, it, or sorry, by email, it's civilpoliticsradio at valleyfreeradio.org. On Twitter, it's at CivilPoliticsFM. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash CivilPoliticsRadio. We also do have a website, which is, believe it or not, CivilPoliticsRadio.com, that has recordings of previous episodes of the show, links to things we talk about, and so forth. So, um, yeah, this is actually, we're, we're, we're going to take a break next week, because it's just before the holidays, and... Uh, a bunch of us won't be here, but I think we will be back uh, on the 30th for uh, for the final show of the year. So this is our second last show of the year. Um, Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> kind of not a moment too soon, really. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all just kind of like hunkering down and praying that 2016 doesn't deliver any more, uh, you know, earthquake shocks. Yeah. It really has been feeling kind of, to me like the wheels have been kind of coming off. And in Well, the Ruskies took uh took possession of one of our navy undersea unmanned of the Chinese. Uh, excuse me, the Chinese China. today. The Russians <laughs> took, took took possession of our national discourse in electric. They're all communists. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, sorry. Different still? era. Different yeah. era. Are the Chinese still? sort of are at least in name. Capital They have a capitalism kind of yeah, going. Pretty so much. Do the, so they, are the Ruskies. They They're have a crony like, oligarchy capitalism. Yeah. 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 Like we did in the 19th century. It's totally different from how it is now here. Yeah, um, yeah of course. And Vladimir Putin. Well, actually, one of the things I thought uh, I think is sort of worth, it just boggles my mind as more stuff comes out about Russian attempts to intervene and interfere with our election is, you know, that like Vladimir Putin has like been very clear that he thinks the collapse of the Soviet Union was the biggest tragedy of the 20th century. Like, worse than the Holocaust, World War II, all of that, the collapse of the Soviet Union was the worst thing. Well, in fairness— And he's the guy who wants to bring it back, basically. I have to say this. In Mm -hmm. fairness to, well, maybe not Mr. Putin, but at least the Russian public, the collapse of the Soviet Union was a traumatic affair. And it resulted in widespread economic collapse across the whole region. It was terribly handled— and I got to say, I... You blame it on Gorbachev? It's a, no, not Gorbachev. I think it was... I think it, it basically... It became a fire sale of public assets oh, to okay. private entities. Mm-hmm. And to try a lot and of... keep everything going. Yep. Right. And it became an oligarchical 
it became a crony affair. a crony deal like oh yeah you're connected with important people we're selling this off we'll give you a good right. deal yeah. Yeah. and a lot of a lot of putin's sort of cachet i think with russian and 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 soviet bloc um rank and file people is is he he actually reined them in to some extent he put oligarchs admittedly politic you know oligarchs who are politically um Connected. A- aligned yeah. against him but he put them in jail and he actually he he sort of reined them in but he did so based by using the kind of skeleton of the old soviet intelligence apparatus that he was part of the the KGB and you know now has a the FSB the He's FSB yes different different di- different initials uh similar purpose but it's you know i think i i've been thinking a lot of sort of about russia and about sort of the pan um Pan-Russian, um, I guess uh, you know, kind of coalition, and I get the sense that there's a lot of resentment um, built up in that they kind of. When I talk to people who are either ethnically, you know, have ties to that area or who study that area, there's a sense that World War II was this unbelievable blood, you know, sanguinary exercise i mean the the numbers the of, great patriotic war killed tens of millions of Russians. yeah i mean it was another it was orders of magnitude greater than we experienced here mm-hmm. in the u.s and i think there's kind of a there, there was always a sense that they they felt like they never got credit mm-hmm. in in some way and that i mean in american history books we bear a lot of times i didn't learn about how influential the soviets were in the war effort until I started doing my own research well after high school hmm. and and went into college and I think there's that's a that's also a remnant of the cold war of course we don't want to give our former enemies credit but yeah I think I, there's a lot of a lot of that kind of um antagonistic architecture was left in place and we didn't really integrate them post 80s into kind of a global pan you know Pax Americana or Pax Europa that I think I think there was an opportunity there that was lost, and now we're kind of seeing the we're almost um, seeing a new mini Cold War because of it. Um, I don't and, know that it's a mini Cold War. I mean, well, oh. yeah, it's quickly blossoming into something very you know less ideological and more geopolitical. Hmm. You know, more sort of nakedly real, real politic. Do you think we can get along with Russia? Do you think you know people are sort of people of my age are sort of like, oh, Russia, scary, but <laughs> but folks new, you know, you folks are much younger. Do you think there's a possibility that there is a place for um, us to sort of get along with Russia and not provoke each other with military things and I don't know, band together to fight ISIS in the world or or do you think that it's um, that that Putin is just sort of behaving badly and and trying to imply that it's our fault that that they don't like us. It's tough because Ru- if Russia loves nothing more than a sphere of influence, I mean, it's kind of there's this idea that sort of Moscow is is the next Rome, that oh, okay. that plays out a lot in the Russian imagination and sort of the pan-Russian cultural imagination, I think as well, and. That means that you know, there's there's kind of a sense there that they always need to have their own anchor in the world, and it needs to be kept safe, and it needs to be something that they can control, and that's very difficult to kind of um, integrate into 
a kind, you know, what, whatever sort sense of you know, world peace that or world sort of order that we might have been able to engage, because for a while we were kind of the last superpower, and we were talked about that in in that way very explicitly. Um, in the '90s, you had this idea of the new, you know, the project for a new American century that was kind of this great neoconservative, um, you know, passion project. Um, that eventually bore kind of some very sour fruit in, in terms of the second Iraq invasion. But there was this idea that really America was going to basically run the show. Yeah. And that's very difficult, I think, to swallow for another world power that has, you know, that had recently suffered a lot of, um, you know, basically being downsized, but yeah. also... So they're extra sensitive about it, not just right. not just because we're behaving badly, but because... They don't feel as strong as they were, so they're more defensive. Yeah, and, and there wasn't, I I don't think there, w I mean, we have the UN, but the UN has sort of always been seen as being a bit of a puppet for various, you know, for various strategic interests. To the extent that you've been able, that anyone's been able to sort of articulate a really egalitarian vision of kind of a conflictless world where, you have an equal division of powers. Um, that's always been undercut by the realities of of twentieth century, you know, the sort of leg legacy of twentieth century geopolitics, and it's really been hard to get beyond. Do you think the EU has made Russia nervous? Just you know, sort of their structure and their their behaviors, or I think may I I think in the sense that n the EU and especially NATO is as increasingly basically become a kind of American front in the old world. And, and, and I mean, it, it's, it's like the, a very thin disguise at this point that we have. I mean, it, that we, we are the military bolster for that region in terms of Western and Central Europe, and, and that's well known by every other regional power in the area. So, I mean, when... And, and I think that there was a certain sense that we were sort of using the Middle East as kind of a new proxy battlefield to, to flank the old Iron Curtain and to kind of move up. Into, and, I, and I think that was kind of a long-term plan of a lot of neoconservatives is the idea that you'd move up the Tigris and Euphrates River and then create a new path towards, you know, into sort of the old Russian sphere of influence, which yeah. was the upper Middle East and Iran and Syria. Um, I mean... That's <laughs> that's that's been very confused now because Syria is is just a dumpster fire and Iran has kind of been temporarily placated to an extent. Um, so so the the kind of balance of power in that region is less clear. But I mean, if I'm if I'm sort of your average Russian um, person and I'm and I'm sort of looking at my place in the world as a Russian citizen. I think there's there's a strong sort of nationalist tendency that doesn't have a lot of counterweight um, because there's a kind of bunker mentality. And that's really what I see. And it, it's really sad because I think that there is a lot. I really sort of admire a lot about Russian culture and the Russian character and sort of the sensibility that I think they brought to the world stage, um, especially back in like the 19th and 18th centuries when they were a little more integrated with the rest of Europe. And it's, it's really unfortunate that we, that that kind of binary division has happened and that we haven't been able to really bridge that gap. Yeah. 
the um, world would be a much better place if we if we could do that. A lot of people escape from Russia and are in this country, and it's sort of like Cuba, right. where they remember what it was like and have a lot of feelings that, you know, it's sort of generational again. There's this sort of, you know, right. older generations who escaped from old Russia and, you know, made their way in the U.S. And Well, you had this traumatic, I mean, in, in some ways it's almost like a national PTSD. You have these trauma- the Russian Revolution, which was preceded by an incredibly despotic and in a, it, unequal serfdom that that existed well beyond you know any any other uh you know similar examples of 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 kind of um people uh, were disenfranchised, disenfranchised and also landed. impoverished yeah and, on a and massive and scale exactly and and, uh, and often oppressed and and violently so right and tied to the land is i mean it was mm-hmm. it was it wasn't the kind of chattel slavery we ever had in the here in the US but it was kind of on that spectrum pretty close extent and so there's been this kind of violent movement from that to revolution to the purges and the you know the the resettlements of the 1930s which killed millions of people to world war 2 which killed millions more and to this long protracted sort of existential struggle against what was seen as this kind of coalition of hostile powers led by the US that's a very long and difficult legacy of memory to get over yeah. Um, well, I think um, you're talking about all this and uh, about this whole sort of perspective of looking at how Russia and the United States and other nations interacted sort of in terms of sort of a geopolitical uh, power struggle. And I'm reminded of a professor I had at, when I was at Kenyon many years ago named uh, Clifton Crace. And he was an African historian. And one of the things he pointed out um, was that you can read the Cold War, which at that time was still at least sort of going on. You know, this is like 1990. He um, he uh, pointed out that you can read that as essentially sort of the last gasp of a struggle between colonial powers. You know, like this is sort of just a continuation of the scramble for Africa from 100 years before. Um, and that... Uh, Russia and the U.S. dividing the war into sort of dividing the world into sort of zones of influence is really just an extension of the long-term sort of cultural uh, project of European hegemony over the world, and that really and the end resources, natural resources, right. and trying to get control. And the end of the war and the end of the Cold War, in a real sense, is the end of or sort of marks sort of the end of that being sort of uh, of the world being dominated by a conflict between European powers. <clears throat> now the world and may now still it's be going to be transnational corporations. Well, I suppose that's possible, and we can get to talking yeah. about Mr. Tillerson in just a minute. <laughs> but um, uh, arguably, the uh, the the scope the, the scope of things hasn't changed because we're still talking about potentially global conflicts over resources. But um, uh, the United States remains a power around the world um, because we're rich, we're powerful. We have, you know, a huge military. Um, uh, we have the world's reserve currency. But China has become an increasingly important economic player around the world and political player around the world. And I think soon they're going to become a military power around the world, too. I think they're working on it pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Well, not only by building islands in the South China Sea, but also, like, how long do you think it's going to be before they make a deal with, I don't know, some nation, maybe Peru, some nation with... Uh, 
uh, uh, in, oh, South, in the America. South, South America. Yeah, in South America that wants uh, uh, some resistance to uh, uh, our ability to influence things. And they basically say, all right, the Chinese can build a, a naval base here. Yeah. It could happen. Um, and uh, Vladimir Putin wants to keep playing in that kind of that kind of league. So mm-hmm. that's that's part of our problem that uh, uh, I think things are getting increasingly... Um, I think it, so. Three superpowers more stable than two? No, I don't think so. <laughs> you think less stable? Than oh, three superpowers in, inherently, because then you, you when you've got major powers vying with one another, you know they start going around and doing deals behind each other's back. I mean, the Cold War um, was horrifying and terrifying because, of course, it involved nuclear detente. It involved, you know, the well acronymed mutual assured destruction. But broadly speaking, if the U.S. did something the Russians would counter it, or the Soviets would counter it, and vice versa. And there were areas in which neither side was particularly engaged or whatever, and areas in which they acknowledged the other had the dominant sphere of influence. But for the most part, um, you know, both sides were looking for advantage but were willing to accept stasis. But And, and there wasn't really anywhere else to go. Now we have cyber warfare. Right. Mm. Well, now the, the whole scope of things has changed. And uh, we have. I think I heard Obama say that he didn't really want to make a big deal out of the hacking because he didn't want to make it worse two months before the. You know, he told Vladimir Putin to knock it off, but he wasn't ready to go to the mat on it. I was listening to his press conference today. Yeah, I didn't have a chance to listen to that. Yeah, and it's sort of scary because what he was saying was, well, we didn't want to poke him with a stick. (laughs) Right. And it's like, hmm, I think they poked us with a stick. And then, oh, yeah, that would escalate it. Sure. Maybe we, we aren't you so go, sure what they might let out of the bag. Well, and, and you know, what if Vladimir Putin decided that uh, the next step was to cause a power blackout across the Northeast? You know. Which, um, I forget who just wrote that book. Was it Ed? Um, oh, I can't think of his. He used to do Nightline. Co- um, Dan Rather? No. Same vintage. Um, I can't think of his name, mm. but he he's been traveling around with his book about you know the lights being turned out and yeah. sort of talking to Homeland Security and them saying oh yeah we have a plan up there on the shelf and it's like no they haven't got a plan yeah they they have no idea yeah well I'm not surprised that the Department of Homeland Security especially uh, is ill-equipped to deal with uh, a modern world it's a it's a huge sort of glumpy. Uh, uh, conglomeration well, thrown they put together. A bunch of agencies together. Yeah, right? exactly. In a lot of in ways that sort of in work. competition in yeah. many ways. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm dubious. I'm just dubious from the get go because it's the brainchild of the Bush administration, and just right and we away. We know who Bush's brain was. So, <laughs> Dick Cheney. Yeah. I uh, know. Um, oh shoot. Condoleezza Rice. Carl Rove. Carl Rove. Yeah. Bush's brain. Yeah. Well, you can you can tell. Like, just calling it Homeland Security sounded like it was some homage to the Nazis, Nazis yeah. just to begin it with. It gave me the willies when I heard that. Name. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, like seriously, this is not a good idea. No. So, oh, and I should mention, you are listening to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. So, um, Yeah, so if we have the triumvirate of the U.S., you know, China, mm. and Russia. Well, you're also leaving out, like, things are going to change. I mean, India can become a power. Oh, India's going to outstrip... Um, China in terms of people in five years, right? That I have the no biggest, idea how the world's that's, how biggest, that's going. But yeah. it, could, it could well. Yeah, the world's both, biggest democracy. They're both nations equipped with nuclear weapons, and they're both nations and it, that and are. 
if they start tang- if those two start tangling, yeah, and they have had uh, they've tangled several times before. Yeah, they have they ter- fought wars, territorial disputes along Kashmir mm-hmm. and along sort of the Himalayan chain. Mm-hmm. That I think could be an interest because because they're so populous and because there's just such an, a growing agglomeration of capital in both of those areas. Yeah. Right, that could be, and both nations yeah. have. Hundreds of millions of people living, exactly. the hundreds of people living in abject poverty, and one of the best drivers to economic growth is sort of that catch-up phase in development where you go, okay, you're living in horrible poverty. Well, we can bring you up to like our our basic standards. Put this uniform on. <laughs> Not even put this uniform on. Just like you know, like we're gonna pave roads and we're gonna lay out water systems and we're gonna you know bring electricity and whatever. That all creates jobs. That all creates economic growth. That all makes money that all grows your economy enormously and it's not something that the rest of that we can match because we've already done it yeah and we need to do it again well you know it's it's what drove our economic growth in the 30s 40s and 50s and it requires some element of a command economy as well i mean if you're if you're trying to sort of take a capitalist approach for how to lift masses out of poverty you run into a lot of fundamental ideological and sort of structural. Why would we want to lift the masses there? out of poverty? Right, it's bad for that, the bottom line. That that just know? creates more expensive workers. <laughs> right. So, and that's. I mean, India has sort of moved away from. They were in sort of a socialist camp for a while, and they had they had pretty low, um, develop a, a pretty low development index. But I I can't help but wonder if they're going to switch that way again because. Their capitalist projects recently have vastly increased the inequality. Um, I mean, you look at a, you know you look at cities like um, you know Mumbai or Calcutta or Bangalore, where a lot of times they're enjoying standards of living that are in many neighborhoods that match European or American cities, and then you can go just a few miles away, out into the slums and out into the villages beyond, and and it. Things have barely changed since the 19th century in some ways. So China's somewhat better along just because they've had more of a command economy and they've had more of that ethos that you're talking about, Mike, in terms of... Um, and they have thousands of years of experience. In <laughs> right. So does, keep, but they so still have India, that urban-rural divide. But yeah. China, um, has the, China has the, well, advantage, I suppose, is the best way to put it, of not having been colonized by European power true um yeah you know britain was calling the shots in india in a way that nobody was calling the shots and there there's india is also outside incredibly ethnically homogenous china is too um you know people are always reminding me china is very but china has i forget that but that's china has more i and i i'm sure i speak from a somewhat of a point of china Yes, it does. But does it? In, in, India has, I mean, it has two different entire language groups oh, okay. within the subcontinent. Yeah. yeah. So, and there are a lot of historic differences because the Mughal Empire came down in the sort of what we would call the medieval period in Europe and colonized the north of the subcontinent. And the southern Dravidian portion was yeah. sort of um, separate from that. So there's... And then you have sort of individual states like Kerala, which is in the the southwest, southeastern quadrant, which is like basically a communist state. I mean, <laughs> they've they've kind of individual states run their own um, their own party in in a way that I think China is a lot more centrally commanded 
India um, certainly has a lot more recognition of regional variations. Yes, so it does. So it's now let's look at us. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean that's actually, um, or the U.S. Uh, well, th- that's what us spells. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, or that's how you spell us. So um, that's actually something I've been thinking about because you know um, how divided are we? Well, we've been talking about for the past month about how Donald Trump is the president-elect. But I've actually been thinking about it this past week. And we basically had an election on November 8th. And on the ballot, there were many races. And every single one of the little tick boxes you might tick, um, you know, if you voted for somebody for Congress or if you voted for yes or no on question one, then what you voted for was what actually would would happen. However, if you vote president, <laughs> you well, right. I I, I ticked the box for for Hillary for Clinton and Kane, but that's not what I actually voted for. What I actually voted for was a slate of electors that had been picked by the Democratic Party, and you know if you voted for some other candidate, you voted for a different slate of electors. So, like it's our been our sort of our custom to sort of pick Donald Trump to say Donald Trump won the election, but you know in actual fact. We had a national vote that basically amounts to a popularity contest, right? Which Hillary Clinton won by three million votes at this point, right? It's two point nine. Oh, two is it two point nine? I only heard two point seven. I th- it's getting up. It's there. It's growing. I mean, yeah. a- as the I votes thought all are the votes have been counted by now. Well, the absentee and all that stuff. No, they but I thought they had to certify it by December tenth. Monday. Is it Monday? Monday? I forget what day. It well, is. the college actually, electoral college votes next Monday, so I think they've. I think the votes have been certified. I think it's done. Well, I should certainly hope so. It's been over a month. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but in any case, it's, yeah. a, it's a significant margin. Right. So, um, so you can either – so, like, the logic is that um, Hillary uh, – uh, that, that Trump won, a bu- won the votes in a bunch of states, which send 309 electors, I think, altogether. Right. That was the last number I heard, yeah. For or him. maybe 306. Anyway, 300-something electors um, to the Electoral College. And so he won the election because that many states' worth of electors went to him. He won 30 states, um, which I don't think is, is good logic for how we should pick our president. But regardless, mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton um, won 20 states. The District of Columbia got 2.8 million votes more. Um, but none of that matters because our president hasn't been elected yet. You know, it could be anybody. Are you saying that sort of I mean, sarcastically? That, that's, no, or? that's the law. Right. The electors have to elect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and that's the only vote that matters. We we could, you know, like what we do uh, on November 8th, what we did on November 8th in terms of voting for president and vice president has no actual legal weight. And that... That means that, that means that when it came to voting for our president and vice president, it was not an election. It was a bait and switch. It was a con. But that's always been true of our presidential elections. Right. And now it's become really clear to me, like, oh, my God, that's really true. I never really thought about just exactly – because, like, I always thought, like, well, all right, but, you know, like, the electors are bound. And, like, and they're not. No, you know? they're not. Yeah. I mean, they're they're created by the Constitution, and here's the thing, you know, like if the state of Massachusetts, some, some states have bound them. But here's the thing: if the state of Massachusetts passed a law saying that Ed Markey and Elizabeth Warren, our senators, uh, and it doesn't name them, it just says like our senators have to vote at every opportunity to repeal, I don't know, to repeal the Hyde Amendment, banning federal funds used for abortions. 
They wouldn't have to. Yeah. Right. Because the state can't pass a law forcing federal office holders in the cor- to do something in the course of their duties. And mm-hmm. it's a constitutional office. It's a federal office. Uh, so only a federal law, really only amending the Constitution, can change how the Electoral College works. Well, but and, this is because, elect- and the thing is, our, 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 like we have sort of these customs for how it's done. But I mean, you know, if there's one thing you can say about the Donald Trump candidacy, it's throwing out all the customs and expectations about how things have been done. But I think you're under uh, underestimating the electors. Those, the way they're chosen in individual states is actually controlled by the states. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not underestimating them. Yeah. Uh, because after all, they're all picked by by you know partisan political process yeah. and whatnot. So yeah, I wouldn't and be it's surprised. Different if in different states, there's different procedures and sure, different practices. Sure. Yeah. Ex- exactly. And they and they send the states send their electors. To make this vote, so I don't think it's I don't think it's quite that black and white. I think that some of them are bound and some of them are not bound. No, it doesn't matter. What if they? What if uh, an elector is bound and just says, "You know what? I don't care. I'm going to vote for Susan Timberlake." For I think president. in some states there's actually a procedure where you can remove them if they're a faithless elector, and and I believe that to be true. I, no, I didn't but the bring thing the is, like, like the moment comes when they cast the vote, yeah. how do they say no? That vote doesn't count. Well, because the state has to certify the votes. Right, I don't know if that's true. I th- and I think that it really does vary state by state. Yeah, I think it's not. I think you know as but usual, it's not a straight line. But, but I do think the penalty is after the fact. Like for yeah. instance, New Mexico, a state where I lived for many years, it's actually a fennel, uh, a, a felony, a felony, um, mm-hmm. to you know to cast a vote contrary to the the, to the state's vote. votes. Popular it's probably because something mm-hmm. happened at one time that made them pass right. that law. But again, that's after the fact. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, because as Mike said. Uh, if you keep mum up until yeah. the moment, then anything could conceivably yeah. happen. Yeah. So, food for thought. We should actually take a moment, uh, a couple of minutes, to play some PSAs and station announcements and so forth. Keep the FCC happy. And uh, we'll be back with more civil politics here on Valley Free Radio in just a couple of minutes. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Classical music on Valley Free Radio. Tune in to Andy Musique Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. for an hour of beautiful music to start your day. Hosted by Lucy and Larry. Hey, you believe in guns? I just don't have a gun. <laughs> Table of Contents is a weekly music program that assembles an assortment of songs and sounds of many genres and which may entail literally taking a random collection of musical sources off the shelf and giving them a turn on the table or spin in a CD or tape player. Each week presenting shows which can at times be organized orderly and at other times perhaps do not as much so, yet never dull. Tune in Friday nights, 10 p.m. till midnight on WXOJ LP, Northampton 103.3 FM. Do you gamble more often and longer than you planned? Have other people suggested you may have a gambling problem? Do you wish you could stop or cut down your gambling, but you just can't? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may have a gambling problem. We understand the problem. We can help. We're the Mass Council on Compulsive Gambling. Please call us at 1-800-426-1234 or chat with us online at masscompulsivegambling.org. The confidential helpline number is 1-800-426-1234. 
this is Ruthie from Pedal People with a public service announcement. If you frequent downtown Northampton or Florence and you pass by the recycling and trash bins on the street, the public ones, I'm here to let you know that cups are not recyclable. No plastic cups, no paper cups, no styrofoam cups, no clear cups, red cups, blue cups, yellow cups, no insulated cups. Because if you put cups in the recycling bin, it means either I pick them out or someone at the sorting facility picks them out in Springfield, or it contaminates the whole load too much that the whole load is considered trash. Or if you can just bring your own cup all together and not have disposable cups, that'd be even better. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your cooperation. Are you interested in connecting with the international community in the Pioneer Valley? Then volunteer to help your immigrant neighbors improve their English and integrate better into their surroundings. Become a volunteer tutor. Take a free 15-hour training taught by the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. For more details on an application, go to ili.edu or contact amy at ili.edu. Students come from Africa, Asia, Europe, Latin America, and the Middle East. So volunteer to tutor and expand your world. Hi, I'm Charlie. I fight fires and I save lives. My name's Renee. I'm a cardiologist. I save lives. My name's Anthony. I'm an EMT. I save lives. You don't have to be a professional to save a life. Firefighters, doctors, and others save lives. You can, too. Don't wait. To learn more about the warning signs and how you can help prevent suicide, visit save.org. In a crisis, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Fresh Sounds with your host, Ron Freshly, Tuesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on WXOJLP, bringing you the music of Bud Powell, Wardell Gray, Art Blakey, Duke Ellington, Abby Lincoln, Tad Dameron, Yousef Latif, Bix Beiderbeck, Cassandra Wilson, Tom Harrell, Jane Ira Bloom, and thousands more. And we're back with Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Michael Dow. And with me tonight are Stefan Ward-Wheaton and Susan Timberlake. Hey there. <laughs> and we're continuing to talk about politics. Um, we were uh, uh, just sort of laying the smack down on the uh, whole idea of the Electoral <laughs> College. And I guess Stefan still had something he wanted to sort of say on that. Well, so. at least to sort of just, uh, you know, carry the discussion onwards. Because I've, s- I've been privy to a lot of arguments after this election. I mean, Haven't this is, there been a lot? <laughs> I, this is, I'm not yet 30, and this is the second election in my lifetime where the person who got the most actual votes did not proceed to assume the office of oh, president. Oh, Gore and Bush. Gore and Bush and now Clinton and Trump. And I think it's, there's a lot of feeling that, uh, you know, as Mike said, that essentially... The idea that we all have a vote that, you know, that this sort of kind of rosy, you know, rosy cheeked, uh, rose glasses uh, view of American democracy really gets undercut by a lot of the structural uh, complexities of the process. And there's a sense of, well, how, you know, how do you then organize an alternative? Do you do you go straight popular vote? There's a lot of concern, I think. Well, here's what gets most, um, you know, most often put up as the first line of defense against that is this idea that we have the Electoral College to ensure that the most populous states don't 
end up being kind of the arbiters of the you know the will of the people that there's this kind of i think i think this kind of is a bit of a reflection of the coastal versus flyover divide this idea that a lot of people i remember hamilton plains... wrote a lot about that in the 1790s uh, yeah <laughs> yes. he was very concerned about it oh certainly the flyover yeah right the, the flyover <laughs> states between <laughs> well, it do- it does he get... loved to chill in Malibu. Oh, he really did. You know, um, I'm surprised it didn't make it into the musical. Well, it's you know, it's it. it he's not going to give up his shot. Well, yeah, if it's but... a vestige of a different time, right? But then again, there are. I mean, look at what just happened when you look at the country. the The whole mm-hmm. middle of the country is red, right? All the 30 states mm-hmm. is. You but know. The, the problem is, is that um, the somebody from Wisconsin, uh, not Wisconsin, Wyoming, has something like six times their their vote. Um, weighs something like six times more than somebody from California, California. Yep. because even those three electoral votes that Wisconsin, that oh, Wisconsin, Wyoming <laughs> gets, um, is far greater in proportion to their population than California gets. And look at me, Republican so. in Massachusetts, my vote didn't count at all. Well, exactly. Right. Yeah. Despite the fact that I don't, I know you didn't actually vote for the horribleness, but nevertheless, like a million people here in Massachusetts voted for Trump. Right. None of them. None of their votes matter. Yeah. Because it's winner take all. I mean, mm-hmm. that's part of the, the well, problem. And what yeah. they what is so often said is, well, we're not a democracy; we're a republic. But nowhere we're a democratic republic, right? And nowhere is it stipulated that a republic has to have rules that are actually anti democratic about its elections. And I would actually disagree. This is something that I've really heard even other liberals cast concerns about: is the idea that the 10 or 20 most populous urban areas would end up being the deciders of the country under a popular vote. I don't actually think that's true for exactly the reasons that you two say, because currently we have millions of people whose votes are essentially disenfranchised. And we're kind of lucky that most of the time the popular vote has basically ended up mirroring the electoral vote. But that's not a given. But it should be the other way around. It Exactly. I mean... If to the extent that we can go out into the world and say that we're sort of a beacon of, you know, of this is how it should be done, equality, yeah, of, of and, equality and, demo- and, and and sort of democratic well, values, yeah, something like this. Not, I mean, not only given the vitriol and the kind of race to the bottom that this election has been, but the fact that it's been capped by such an absurdist result where the will of the people has been contravened by the process, essentially, I think it, and it's embarrassing. Well, I have to say, it really is embarrassing. Yeah. I can't, I can't I, make the argument to anybody else in the world, as an American... That they should do it our way. I don't think I have a moral kind of high ground to stand on right well, now. Well, and I also, like, I have no sympathy for the argument that, um, uh, well, you know, the people living in the hinterlands are going to be disenfranchised by the urban center. It's like, I live in western Massachusetts, I kind of know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, we all do. That's 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 the that's reality. The Boston effect. More people live near Boston than live out here. So, right. yeah, they have more votes and they have more weight in determining how our commonwealth goes. That's that's how that's supposed to work. Because it's not like we never get anything out here. It's not yeah. like you know that we never get. Uh, 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 funding for things mm-hmm. out here in Western Mass. You know, like we're 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 doing okay. Um, not by comparison, but well, well. but depend it depends on what you how you're comparing. You know, like our problems out here. I think in a lot of cases aren't because of uh, we're not able to 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 
you know, pull any any resources from the state, but often be- the time, you know, like I don't think the problem in Springfield is that Springfield doesn't get enough state money. I think the problem in Springfield is that it's long been controlled by a cabal of people who sort of steal the money. I mean, Springfield right. isn't poor. If you Springfield look at, is mismanaged. It's corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you look at by the way. I should be your line. <laughs> I did. I did Ms. say Springfield Repu- is corrupt. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, well, so, so money, we agree. <laughs> yeah, but the money from the Mass Pike goes into the big dig. So all right. that, that goes, is that is annoying. And I just got a I just got a bill for eight dollars for going to Boston on the Mass Pike mm. and coming back because and it, you're upset that you're grateful for the privilege of paying so little. For being able to drive to and from Boston. No. I, Isn't I, that right? I, no, I don't think any <laughs> road should have tolls. So. <laughs> well, then how do we pay for them? They were already paid for years ago. This is all. Well, you've got to maintain them. How do you maintain them? If they were using it to maintain the Mass Pike, I wouldn't complain, but that is not what they do with the money. Okay. Or the gas tax is not what they do with the money. I mean, it you're, just you're goes on You're saying it's a revenue yeah. source rather than a maintenance. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, and to be fair, you know, this is sort of getting into arguments about how government should be run. And to be fair, like, in the end, the government is just one big bag and you dump all the money into. It is a good idea to say, like, we have set aside this money for that. And it's awfully good when they actually use the money as, as clearly indicated. Right. But. Well, also, like, speaking as a citizen of, as, uh, with you both of rural, semi-rural America, like, I think I've, you know, I've done pretty well out here. I've been able to take advantage of a state healthcare system given that given my income level has returned a pretty solid level of care. You know, I've been able to take advantage of minimum wage hikes that have happened in this state. Yeah, and I would 30% uh, as of January. Yeah, right. it goes up to $11 an hour. Yeah, from yeah. Eight, and, uh, that's that's, that's a yeah. fast steep, right. that's a steep incline. Yeah. And, and but it directly affected me. Weeks. And for they did it for Boston, but this area is actually impacted by it cuz the law is right. statewide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cuz um, wages were way below mm-hmm. out here than they are in Boston. But I, th- I, I think that also sort of refl- the fear that um, rural areas are kind of going to get left behind or further disenfranchised by, you know, isn't, a, a straight popular. Isn't that what Congress vote? is for? Isn't that why we have a Senate? <laughs> well, this is my. Th- this and is I mean, my let's argument. face it, even yeah. in the House of Representatives, like. How many representatives, uh, how many voters per representative are there in, say, New York? Democrats, once again, got the majority of raw votes in the House of Representatives this this year. And, and, you know, but I mean, how many many representatives... they only gained two seats. Right. How how many voters go for for a representative in North Dakota, which is, you know, has one representative? It's like 200,000 people in the whole state. So, like... Those 200,000 people, yep. yeah, or maybe it's more than that, but I mean, like, the, I think it's 200,000 voters, right? But those 200,000 voters all together get one representative, whereas I think it, it's what, more than a million, I think, otherwise? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, certain states are, are starting to kind of push that edge. I mean, yeah. you have, if you look at the states that have one representative, it ranges between anywhere between almost a million to, I think, down to, what is it, Wyoming is... My, well, I'm, I'm kind of beating on Wyoming here, yeah. but this, How many people something in like 500,000. Vermont, something like, I think, six or 700,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, it varies because we have a, we have a, we have a floor. Minimum, yeah. We have a threshold. Well, and Every that, state gets at least one rep and two senators. And, and that, that... Could be 10 guys. That structure <laughs> that it really values the states. I mean, that is actually yeah. part of what the Electoral College does, too, mm-hmm. is that it really says, okay, Wyoming, you are an entity unto yourself, and you get to vote however you want to vote. And in Massachusetts, you are an entity unto right. yourself. And but 
it, it is a funny relationship. Are we 50 states or are we one nation? Uh, I think we're 50 states. I don't. I think we're one nation. Yeah. And I think the president and vice president are the only office that is truly elected to represent the entire nation. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, the governor isn't elected by a, a surplus of counties. Uh, I said this before, I think, yeah. on the show. Yeah. But, like, you Last know, it, 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 it comes down to, you know, uh, my vote for my president mm. should count the same as anyone else's vote for the same president. It's like we're all in this general, like, the constituency of the presidency is the entire country. Did it have to And do so it should be slavery? one vote for... I don't know. You know, was it a compromise around? Oh, well, it, it, it might have a, involved that because there was the whole three-fifths state. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The idea was that the, the slave states did not want to. Um, I mean, we cede power to the northern states, which were then, ver- especially New York and Massachusetts, were a lot more, and and Pennsylvania were a lot more populous yeah. Yeah. than Virginia, South Carolina. Well, populous or, of uh, white people, right? Exactly. There was a you know a huge population in Pennsylvania and in, in Virginia and the other southern states yeah. that didn't actually have any any franchise <laughs> at all. But were so is but that... they insisted that they count as three. Uh, they wanted to count them as people right. in terms of their voting uh, allocation. And so the three fifths compromise said the the slaves don't count as people except that they're three fifths of a person for. Yeah, fortunately, that went out of the out of the Constitution a long time so ago. So, is that sort of the history of the Electoral College? I mean, is that is it time to get rid of it because that is sort of part of I the? Think, well, that's another re- the... that's another reason. But I mean, just just fundamentally, um, when you vote for your congressman or your senator, you know, your vote doesn't count less than the vote of somebody in on Cape Cod. You know, like when Elizabeth Warren's up for re-election and you get to choose between her and Kurt Schilling. Which I know you'll be excited to do, uh, um, Mr. Bloody Sock. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, exactly. But I mean, like you know, it won't be like, well, this person's from Hyannisport, so they get th- their vote counts for one point one times he's yours. He's a bad businessman that he's gone bankrupt and spent he other is. people's money, and and whatever you think of him, that's not a good Republican. Yeah, somebody I, like I, that could never be elected to uh, I, I have office. To, I have to agree. <laughs> now, if he could go, go bankrupt, I think four or five more times, he he, he could be our president, there right? You go. So there. right. So so I mean, that, that's my point. You know, like. It's because the presidency is the office, uh, and the vice presidency is the office for all of us. Do you think we'll change the electoral college? Do you have any sense that there's? A, I have no idea a, what the it, political re- it's what, so how the politics will work. But look, Republic uh, it has to. I was born in 1988. Republicans since that since that year when a George H W Bush won over Michael Dukakis, yeah, another, Massey. Um, Republicans have only won the popular vote once in 2004. Every other time, in 2000 and in 2016, the other two times they've won a national election, it's been electoral college only. So they have a huge incentive to keep it in to place. To keep it the way it is. And that's why you're seeing things like what's happening in North Carolina right now. Outgoing Governor Pat McCrory and the uh, uh, Republican supermajority right. in both houses of the, of the state legislature down there. A, uh, a, a Republican supermajority engineered through uh, racist gerrymandering that's been thrown out uh, by uh, U.S. Uh, uh, appeals court, and actually they've called for a new election uh, next year because they're just saying, like, this is so blatantly racist and corrupt it has to go. But they voted to... Uh, Limit uh, his abilities, right? right. Yeah. The, the Republicans, when they when they got this sort of lock on uh, the legislature and the executive in Cal- in in North Carolina, um, basically pushed through a bunch of changes to add more power to the governor's office and change like the local voting board so that uh, like there were three per- the, each one would have three people, two of them would be from the governor's party, 
And so now that the Democrats have actually managed to seize the governor's office, they're voting to change all of that. So it will be an mm-hmm. equal balance. And uh, the state election commission will be controlled by, by Democrats in odd-numbered years and by Republicans in even-numbered years, which, of course, are the years where they held elections. Right. So um, it's, it's just an incredibly blatant power grab. And it's done, all, done it, in a special session, I believe, that was originally intended to be convened in the case of a, a state emergency. Oh, no, they had the so. state emergency. <laughs> At the end of that, they cast, they convened another special session just oh. to do this. Oh, this okay. is, like there's the nothing this is about except, Game basically. of Thrones. This, is, this yeah. is what politics is. This is, you know, you try and take all the power if you can. I mean, it is the, it is the game. Sure. Now, Monday night. Of, <laughs> I mean, Game of Thrones, oh. if, you, if you ever watch that show, it's fascinating to me because it's basically about a fantasy kingdom but none of those people, without maybe one or two exceptions, none of those characters have any conception of loyalty or, or valuing anything more than their own partisan interests or their own family interests. The idea that there is a national polity that Sounds matters. Sounds like Washington. <laughs> well, maybe, but it's certainly not the way we think about things. I was raised to think about things here in America. The idea that, like, we are a group, that we come together as a group, and we all vote, and we all matter. And, you know, it's, you know, we don't. Just because I'm up in Massachusetts, it, it, like, I don't get to say I don't care what's happening in Corpus Christi, Texas. Oh, there's some kind of toxic uh, petroleum byproduct in the water, and it will kill them if they drink it. Whatever. I don't care. Yeah. You know, screw them. No, I don't, the I don't want to say that. The budget bill that just went through has money for Flint. I just saw that the continu- oh, CR, the continuing good. resolution. So they'll finally have water they can drink again? Well, like I don't a know year. that it will actually go to Flint, but it was earmarked well, for yeah. Flint. So. Well, and it's getting, it, I know the water quality in Flint is improving, but that... I think it's sort of way too little, way too late. So you're, I'm sorry, I cut you off. You're about to say something oh, about Monday. What so what are you guys doing on Monday? <laughs> oh, right. Thank you for <laughs> you, reminding me. You non-Republicans? <laughs> you can come too. Oh, I'm sure I'd be stoned. <laughs> and I don't mean that kind of stone. I'll, I'll, <laughs> December 15th is come and gone. <laughs> Yes, yeah. but Stefan, no smoking here in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about what's going on here in the studio. I'm talking about JFK Middle School Monday night. Uh, right. Monday this night, coming Monday, sit, doors open at seven, and I believe things... which is the 19th of December. Doors open at 7 p.m. and it's a meeting De- of a... Democrats, right? I think Democrat uh, Democrats and sort of uh, it's it's and friends people <laughs> who want to people yeah. who want to resist the uh, the incoming Trump administration. It's kind of a where do we go from here yeah. um, meeting. I'm planning to go. And it's it's supposed to start at about 7 uh, and go till about 9.30. Here in Northampton. Here in Northampton. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to go. And uh, It'll be interesting to yeah. say the least. Yeah. I, mean, I think it'll at least provide an outlet for a lot of people who I think are very frustrated yeah. and don't yeah. feel like they have uh, – the means to channel that energy. And on January 20th, Inauguration Day, uh, obviously a bunch of people are going to be protesting in D.C. There will be a march in Boston on Boston Common. Um, and D.C. is a little far for me to go, but I am going to go to the one on Boston Common on the 20th myself. Sweet. Sort of shake my fist impotently in the air. <laughs> <laughs> but It's America. You it's, can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the time being. At yes. least. For the time yeah. being, yeah. So, so... Um, Sanctuary cities? You want to talk about that? What do you yeah, want to talk you want about? To, I was, I, I it's was, your your city is uh, debating it right now because East they, Hampton, yeah, they mm-hmm. have been a sanctuary city, but not declared Officially, one. Yeah. yeah, not declared one. And so Northampton and Amherst are both ones, but they right. did it in different ways from fo- from and, what I understand. And I have to be honest, I'm not entirely clear on what real difference it makes because if the East Hampton Police Department 
you know, isn't in the business of enforcing federal immigration law, you know, like, so, you know, if, if, if for whatever reason the East Hampton Police Department detains somebody, uh, you know, they may check for outstanding warrants, but they're not going to arrest somebody, you know, uh, uh, because of some kind of federal bureaucratic thing. And if a Mm -hmm. victim reports a crime, I mean, that's really why the police department started doing it, is they wanted people to come forward who were illegal immigrants or undocumented. Right. If if you're an undocumented immigrant, we are not going to check your status before we take your report about a crime. About a crime. So it was really intended to make it easier for community policing in that that process. But it's very interesting. And I think Northampton did it with an executive order by the mayor. I think Amherst did it. I'm doing this from memory. It was in the Gazette today. Hmm. Well, Um, I different way i did pull up a mass live um story from november 30th which i can post on the website but the northampton human rights commission did discuss a sanctuary city resolution so not an executive order but an actual but they already were i um, think i think the city council was was gonna they had de facto had already yeah i think they were gonna do that because the executive branch had done it and i think they were trying to they wanted to ratify it to some some extent okay I, i i could have that wrong but well, it's I'm it's pretty sure it already it's was. it's I think it's a I think it's a good idea. I yeah. mean, I uh, I I hate the very term illegal alien because it sort of implies like that person shouldn't be alive, that it's against the law for them to be here. And like like if America's a free country and it's supposed to be, I think it is. And if if we have laws that are based on recognizing our rights, our rights and our rights come from being humans, it's not like Oh, Susan, I have granted you this right. I have could, of course, take it away from you at any time. What are? But for the moment, you have this right. It's like, no. Are you, you know, if you can check the human being tick box, you get a bunch of rights. And surely the right to exist in a country is one of those rights. Did you see Trevor Noah has a book out? Um, born he, a Crime. Born a Crime. Fascinating I heard him talking about book. it. He was born to an interracial couple in a time oh, in yes. South in, Africa. In South Africa, where it was literally a, a, a crime. crime for them to have gotten And they hid, they hid all yeah. sorts of pieces of it, and his yeah. mom was attacked, and all sorts of stuff. Happened. Feel free to put that on my Christmas list, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Born a Crime. We, we will note born that. A crime. Yeah. Very interesting. Probably, I mean, is, I don't know whether his sense of humor saved him or he developed it in order to deal with how he was treated. But. He had a very a couple of very good interviews on Terry Gross about it. And, yeah. And I think his parents very ably shielded him from a lot of the worst possible consequences of But didn't his father, who was a German guy, shoot his mother in the head or something? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I think think that's part of the story is she actually hid from him Uh, also. Well... I, I haven't read the book, so I don't know his story. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. I know Sorry. We, we are we are coming up soon to the end of the show. Uh, I did – does this whole talk about, like, helping immigrants and helping people who are in desperate situations? I mean, we haven't even talked about Aleppo uh, oh, and uh, the, the, and the horrible bloodbath. Because I just don't know what to say other than, like, I wish this would stop and, well, you know, and as re- I'll send money to whatever help it will do. As a Republican – I guess I can yeah. say this because, um, you know, I liked Obama and I thought he did, he did some great things. Um, but I feel like we're ending up with the U.S. being really powerless in that we didn't do anything in Syria about Aleppo. We're not doing anything. Obama's talking about how he told the, you know, Putin to quit it in terms mm-hmm. of the hacking. I just feel like we're sort of impotent at the moment yeah. as a country mm-hmm. that we're sort of ending up on this really sort of dismal are we, are we losing our way in the new American century, as well, Jimmy Carter said? Is it the way they're portraying our Obama because of the fake news? I mean, I don't even know what's fake news anymore. I was watching C-SPAN the other day, and I was totally distressed because all they did was leave the camera on the Trump Tower yeah. um, where you walk right. in. And, the, and it's like, why is C-SPAN 
wasting time on that. Yeah. yeah, there's all these hearings, there's all this stuff going on, uh, and I just found it sort of remarkable that C-SPAN's even falling I, I I think part of the, I don't know, like to me, I think... I think Obama is Obama's presidency at the end here is sort of demonstrating one of the the limits of being sort of a responsible superpower. Um, God, I'm I'm reminded, and I know this sounds like a horrible nerd thing, but I'm reminded there's a character in Marvel in the Marvel comics, a superhero called the Black Bolt, and he's got this um, basically like whenever he speaks, like the louder he speaks, the more incredible devastation is caused by it. Like he could shout, and it's like a nuclear bomb going off. So, oh, he, so he has to be careful. So he never speaks. Ever, yeah. except like unless he really wants to do something like even whispering could like le- level a city block. And I think it's kind of the same thing with the United States. I mean, obviously, whatever, we're not a Jack Kirby creation. Right. But, um, you know, like, like if we decide to really throw our weight around, the damage could be incalculable. Like, we have to be careful. And I think Trump's getting ready to throw our weight around big time. And I understand why that's viscerally appealing. But, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, like, uh, like. Like I was saying to you during the break, like, I don't know what to do about Aleppo, like other than like invade because we could right. stop it. <laughs> like in the end, the Russians couldn't stop us if we really seriously wanted to, wanted to invade Syria and take over and claim it. But and, don't forget, Assad used um, um, biologic weapons. So I, I, do you really want to say he used chemical weapons? Chemical, I'm sorry. Chemical chem- weapons. Whatever. You know, like we've got them, too. You know, I mean, like, you know, we, like the devastation we could wreck is is incalculable and we could certainly conquer syria if we really wanted to do you want to (laughs) how many how many dead americans do you want to make this happen how much more national debt do you want to make this happen well and i mean and and that's that's the limit i mean we can do it if we want to but it's going to hurt us it's such a sad choice because we have to choose between the the sacredness of of others lives versus the sacredness of american lives well and also how many syrians are we going to kill i mean even like i had this argument back americans some some are more equal than others well and i had (sighs) we had this argument back in 2003 if we invade iraq to save people from saddam's despotism how many iraqis are we going to kill to save their lives right We, we killed a lot of people saving them from being killed by saddam so and i remember vietnam when we destroyed that city to save it right so it's all (sighs) can i I make a really quick plug yeah that's true because we do have to end our uh our show in a minute but since we are coming up to the end of the year a lot of people are giving medecins sans frontieres doctors without borders fantastic organization wonderful really doing on the ground work in a lot of these areas please throw them something yeah and I should uh, I, I should mention Genre uh, has created a, a resource. I totally forgot to mention this earlier, but he created a resource. It's a curated Google search page uh, that only searches for information on news sources that we here at Civil Politics think are actually trustworthy and reliable. Uh, I believe a link to that is on our Civil Politics uh, page on Facebook and on the website. Uh, I'm going to be using it to like actually look up news things and Fake so forth. Fake news is tough. Sometimes it's really hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to uh, tell. Yeah, no, I heard a, there's a great Planet Money uh, piece about that, about the guy who went to a lot of trouble to make it look like real. So yeah. creating fake newspapers and whatnot. Ugh. But we really do have to wrap up. We're going to start with uh, subcultures coming up in less than a minute here on Valley Free Radio. Uh, so uh, we're going to say so long and happy holidays. Yep, see you after the New Year. No, the week we'll, of the we'll New We'll be here the 30th, but, 30th. but uh, happy Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you do. And that's all for us tonight from Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. Thank you for listening. Good night.